letter to seven churches. We're finishing chapter one. We're going to get right into this first letter of the uh, of, of uh, seven letters, the first letter to the to the uh, church at Ephesus. But first, let's finish up the end of. Let's just read um, from Revelation chapter one. I guess we're going to read from thirteen to twenty. Just read down, uh, see some things there. Let me know when you're all there. Everybody there? Revelation one. Revelation one, verse thirteen says, "In the midst of the seven men." Uh, In the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his foot, and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if it burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters." And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. I just want to stop, and this right here is the first time it really gives a description of God, a description of Christ. Christ in heaven as we're going to see him. We are going to see the Lord. I've heard many, many times in song and testimony, people said the the first thing when I, when I go to heaven, the first thing I want to see is my mom. Or if I, So many people say, first thing I want, I want to see is Jesus. I want to see the Lord. Amen. Because when you realize he's the one that got you there and he's the one that's been with you and he's just done so much for us. He has done so much for us. And that's what really your life is about is getting to know that. You know, really honestly getting to know him and getting to know what he did for you. And realize, you know, who you are and who he is, and I don't deserve, I mean, seriously, does any of us deserve to sit with Moses and Elijah and Abraham and Isaac? I mean, come on, no. Do we deserve to sit at, G- at the table of the Almighty, to sit and be called his son, his daughter, to be given a robe and a crown, to be given a name and and to be made like into his image, does anyone, have, like, do we deserve that? No. And that's where the humility, humbling ourselves, realizing the truth, that, wow, we don't deserve any of this. And John, here being on the island of Patmos in his late 90s, he, Jesus revealed to him exactly what's going to happen when we get there. We're going to see the Lord. And John, thank you, Lord, for John that allows us to see an insight of what Christ looks like. And it gives you a pretty, it gives you a pretty in-depth thing, what he looks like. And, uh, uh, and I wanna, we're going to continue reading, then I'll talk about that in a minute. So let's read in verse 17. It says, and when I saw him, same thing we're going to do, I fell at his feet as dead. See, when you see the, the, the king of kings, Tony, when you see the Lord of Lords, you know, I just want you to realize something, and we'll, I'm jumping ahead just a hair, but at when we see Jesus here, he is not the king of kings here. He is not king, he's priest. He's our high priest. And when we get to heaven, we're going to realize what he did as our high priest and how he is the one that enables us to have forgiveness and, and enables us to have access to God. As we know that he said that I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life, your life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. He is our priest. We know that, and we're going to read it in a minute, that in the old, all the Old Testament, the, the New Testament church is the, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The Old Testament priest and the priesthood and the sacrifices 
all the way up to Christ. And he was the last priest. And, he, and God changes everything. As he said in Revelation 20, I may, Behold, I make all things new. That's why it's called a new covenant, a new testament. And Jesus now is the only priest that we go to. Jesus now is the only high priest. There's no priest. They're all done away with. So religions that have priests don't know what they're talking about. They don't, do not know the Lord. They're trying to take place of him. Because Christ has told us, we just read it in this chapter, it, that God, Christ, has made us priests. Amen? So now we are the, the ones on earth. But I want you to look what it says in seventeen when, in Revelation one seventeen. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. And what you realize that he says, the things that you've seen, the things that are now, and the, th- so, and the things that are hereafter. The past, present, and the future. Write them down. Verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Amen. So I just want to start with that and say, I like how he says in the midst of the seven candlesticks. If you look with me in verse 12, it says, and I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. Amen. And so we know that in the midst of, we know the candlesticks are the churches. In the midst of the church is Jesus Christ. Look what it says in, Revel- in Matthew chapter 18 with me. Then we're going to Daniel 10. Matthew 18. Matthew 18, look in verse 20. Jesus says this, he says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. A church can be two or three, if that's all there is, amen? But it has to be for a purpose. You have to realize that just because you're home doesn't make a church. You have to gather together, because that's what the church means. It means the, the word church is the ek. Lasia in the Greek means the called out assembly. So first, the church, you must be called by God. And each and every one of us that have been saved, remember the day that you were called by God unto Christ. Amen. And then when you're called by God, you come out of the world. You're no longer doing the things you used to do. You no longer go in the places you used to go. Your mind is different. Your heart is different. Everything's different now. Amen. You're called out of this world because one day he's going to literally call us out of this world. So anyway, he's called out. And, but then, so you can be called and you can come out, but unless you're gathered together, you're not the church. So we, when you gather together, he said, I am in the midst. Just like he said with, when he saw the seven golden candlesticks, he said, and in the midst of them was Christ Jesus. Amen. So that means that Christ Jesus, his spirit is with us now. And it's so good to know that. And we can call upon him and we can talk to him and we can praise him. You know, if he's walking and he's here right now, he wants to see us praise him. 
He wants to see us worship him. He wants to see a real heart of a real person that's really appreciative and thankful that he died on the cross for them, that he suffered for them. It makes him happy. It makes joy the Lord when he sees people. And we don't know that he's here, but we do know he's here because he told us he's here, right? And, and we're looking for a sign. And he says, you don't need a sign. I just gave you my word. I'm here in the midst. And he's looking for people that are happy. He's looking for people like, thank you, Jesus. That's all. Humbled and, and grateful. And just want to say, thank you, Lord. I don't, I don't want anything. I just want to be in your presence. I don't, I'm not asking you for anything because you've already did everything for me. I just want to praise you, Lord. I just want to worship you, Lord. That's a real church. Amen. And we gather together for that. So in the midst of the candlestick, we have Jesus. And we see him walking in the midst. And he turned to see the voice. And he saw what did he see? He saw the church. He said when he turned to hear the voice that was speaking to him, he saw, what did he see? Seven, he saw the golden candlesticks. So what he's telling us there is that when you want to hear from God, it's the voice of God is in the church. It, sound, it may sound a little boastful and prideful, but it's not because the church is the most humble entity on the earth. Amen. It's full of born again children that don't know that know that I don't deserve to be here. And we are all gathered together in the body of Christ. So he turns, he sees the voice. It's he sees the church. And what's in the middle of the church? Jesus. Amen. And look what it says in his appearance. It gives us a, a, kind of an in-depth appearance of him. It says his garment that he's wearing is down to his foot all the way down. He's not wearing a short skirt, people. He's not wearing shorts. He's wearing some covered all the way down. It bothers me a little being a, a, a child and a servant of God. When I see these movies out there that portray Jesus looking like, or, or John the Baptist looking like Tarzan. And that is, was not at all. Jesus was covered completely. His mother Mary made him a special garment that was sewn. There was no seams. It was woven all the way through, all one piece. And it covered his sleeves and everything. That's why the, the Roman soldiers didn't want to tear it. They said, wow, look at that. And they, they gambled for it while he was on the cross. Hold on a second. My phone just made a noise. It's weird. Now my phone turns on. I had music playing. It wouldn't turn. It wouldn't play. Amen. I was playing through their music for your enjoyment. And anyway, so it says that he had a garment clothed down to his foot. Look what else. It says a golden girdle on his chest. So what I want you to realize what he looks like. He's got a, a wonderful, amazing garment covered all the way down. His whole chest is covered with a golden plate, a golden breastplate. It says that uh, his, on his head, he had hair as thick as Ron's. It's as thick as wool. It's like, Ron, I'm telling you, you got Holy Ghost hair. You do. You got the, the, the hair of heaven. Look at him. Look at him. I can't even see his face. I just see white glowing. I think he spent some time with Jesus today because he looks like he's glowing. But it says that his hair was as thick as wool and as white as snow, just like Ron's. Amen. It says his eyes were a flame of fire. Amen. It says his feet were burning like brass coming out of the furnace, glowing, burning bright. It says his voice was like the voice of many waters, all languages, all at the same time. He, he encompasses all language. And it says his mouth, out of his voice, and mouth was like a sharp, two-edged sword. And let's look at Daniel chapter 10 with me, please. 
Daniel 10 describes very close to the same thing. Let me know when you're there by saying amen. From there we're going to 1 John chapter 3 after this. But in Daniel chapter 10 verses 1 to 6, it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel. See, reveal, revelation. Whose name was called Belshazzar. And the thing was true. But at the time appointed was long. He's talking about, see, what we're reading is some of Daniel's prophecy a very long time away. It says, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. Verse 2, in those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh, and, or, uh, flesh nor wine in my mouth. Neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the fourth and twentieth day of the month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hildekai, then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of upaz. His body also was like a burl, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to the polished brass. And his voice of his words were like the voice of a multitude. Sound familiar? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Now we know in Revelation it's Jesus. But look at this. Keep reading. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled and to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone, and I saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face towards the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon the knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand uprightly. For unto thee am I now sent. And then, and when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. And he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from this first day that thou didst set thy heart to understand and to chasten thyself before the God, thy God, Thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. It's three weeks. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remain there in the kings of Persia. Now I want to stop right now just to let you know that this was not the Lord Jesus Christ. This was Gabriel, the angel of God. So either two things. Either when he first saw the man... He saw Jesus, and then Gabriel came. Or else, if you read it, it flows that what he saw was Gabriel the archangel. And the archangel Gabriel looked like Jesus did. He had the, the, the glory of the Lord. Now, that might seem strange to you. It doesn't seem strange to me. I'll tell you why. Look in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And this, I hope, I hope is an encouragement to you when you hear this. Let me know when you're there. 1 John chapter 3. Tony's there. Robin's there. Riley, you there? Anyone else there? Can I start reading? 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, 
Now think about that. The love that God has bestowed. Do you ever hear that word before? Bestowed. Kind of like a king and a kingdom. I now bestow upon thee. You know what I mean? A kingdom of thy own. Anyway, look what it says. He's bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. He bestows power on us, Tony. And a name upon us in front of all the universe, in front of all the angels, that thou, Tony, I bestow upon thee the royal name of the Son of God. Like, wow. Look, keep reading. It says, therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Now look what he says, beloved, now are we the sons of God. And look what it says. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, say it with me, ready? We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. So it's no surprise to me that the, the, that the, uh, the archangels are like Jesus in appearance. They have the, the breastplate, the clothes, they have, a, but they're not the Lord. But just think of the power and the majesty and the glory of these archangels, what they look like, amen? Because every single time in Scripture or anywhere, an angel, just a regular angel or an archangel shows up, what happens? The person falls to the ground. There's so much in fear, amen? Well, how much more for the Lord? But the thing with the archangels, they're not our priests, they're not our saviors. They're not our God and they're not our king. They are sent to help us and to give us messages from him. And if they look like him, the Bible says we're going to be just like him. We're going to be like that. We're going to look like that. And that's why it says, if you look at the next verse, it says, and every man that has this hope in himself, what's he do? He purifies himself even as he is pure. So you want to know why you should abstain from sin? You want to know why you should keep away from the things that are corrupt? You want to know why you should look get away from things that are filthy and dirty and worldly and evil? Because you're going to be like Him. Amen? I think that's an amazing thing when you think about it. And it's, look in Hebrews chapter 4. We know this verse. In Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God, we know that coming out of his mouth is a sharp two-edged sword. And the Bible tells us about it in, in Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the word of God is, a, is as a sharp two-edged sword, piercing, dividing asunder soul and spirit and joint and marrow. I love that because it gives you the spirit, soul, and body. And it says, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of your heart. When we get to heaven, we, there is going, we're going to stand before the, the, the judgment seat of Christ. The, the eyes of God are flame of fire and his voice speaks out. And every single thing that is impure that we've ever done is going to be burned up. And the only thing left and as he gives, comes up before him and he gives us our reward, the only thing left is going to be that which is done in the Spirit of God, which is gold, silver, and precious stones. That's a whole other story. So Jesus at this moment is not king of kings at this moment. You know, who, who knows the three names of Jesus? Prophet, prophet, priest, and king. And we know that Jesus, when he was on this earth, he was a prophet. Right now, Jesus in heaven is our priest. 
He's our high priest and he's working for us. I want you to think about this. He's not sitting up there. He is literally, the Bible says, by him, everything that he created consists. He holds it all together. By him, it says his blood is on the altar that he did on the, on the earth as a human being, as the Lamb of God. And now he makes intercession for us. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter chapter 5, look in verse 6 with me. It says this, As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest, talking about Jesus, forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, that means when he was on this earth, when he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crimes, that's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. And he was heard in the, that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God a high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. Now we're going to, he's, he's t- telling us who Jesus is at this time. He's Melchizedek. Anyone never, ever not heard of Melchizedek? Raise your hand if you never heard. Okay, good. Melchizedek is found in the book of Genesis when Abraham went with his men to go fight these kings that took uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, took Lot and took other, uh, other ones, and they went in and they, they killed people and they took people captive. Well, he, they took Lot, Abraham's nephew. So Abraham and his 400 men that were born in his house went and they killed them all and they took all their money and they took all their gold and they took all their stuff and they got all their prisoners and they're coming back. And it's the first time in the Bible it says that there met him a man and his name was Melchizedek. Now this man doesn't have any, the Bible tells us he doesn't have any beginning and he doesn't have any ending. Now Abraham is the first of all human beings that worships the true living God. God called Abraham out of the whole earth. So only Abraham knew God. But it says all of a sudden this high priest named Melchizedek shows up and Abraham falls to the ground and worships him and gives him a tithe of everything. He gives him 10% of everything that he had just got all went to Melchizedek. And they knew what they called him. He said his name was King of Salem, King of Peace. And he was King of Righteousness. Here we have a man that no one knows who he is. He just appears out of nowhere. Abraham knows that he's the, the high priest of God. He falls to his face, ties everything to him, well, 10% of everything, and he's called the King of Peace. Who do we know that's called that? Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And he says also the King of Righteousness. You know, Salem at the time was before Jerusalem. That's, what, that's where Jerusalem came up. So he was the King of Jerusalem. He was the Prince of Peace. And he was the King of Righteousness. We know that this amazing, amazing man was Jesus Christ in the appearance on this earth. And then he was gone. There was no beginning, no end. Nobody knows who he is. Then all of a sudden, all the way up in the book of Hebrews, Apostle Paul, or whoever it is, is talking about this man and says, we know who he is, but a lot of people don't understand it. But Jesus Christ, because we have to understand that the, the book of Hebrews is, is to the Jewish people. And the only high priests were the children of Aaron. 
Moses' brother. No one else could be a high priest but Aaron's family. Now this man shows up. He's not from Moses. He's not from Aaron. He's actually from the tribe of Judah, which nobody mentions being a priest. And he says now he's changing things. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 7. Look in verse 11, 711. It says, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, Levitical means the Levites, the whole children of Levi, the 12 tribes of Israel, each one has a name, one was Levi. God chose Levi to be the, the only family and only their family that could work in the altars, work in the tents, work in the, in the acts of God where the high priest was. So only high priest could be from Levi, which Moses was, and so was Aaron, and only they could be the high priest, and only the Levites, that family, could be the servants of God. Every other person wasn't. They all got their, were promised land, but the Levites were never promised an inheritance. You know what they said? God was their inheritance. And so all these things connect together because the Bible says that now Jesus is the Melchizedek in heaven. And it says, and well, let's read it. Look what it says. It says, if therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest, another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed. Do you see this? The priesthood being changed, there is made of a necessity a change also of the law. For he whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. I want you to understand what he's saying. He's saying that the priesthood is being changed now. Jesus is Melchizedek, a, the high priest and we, his people, are now priests changed. Something has changed now. We are now the priests. Jesus is the high priest. We are now to do, and only us can do the work like the Levites did. Does that make sense to you? You understanding all that? I hope so. Look what he says in verse 13. For he of whom these things are spoken pertains to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. And it is yet far more evident, for that after the similitude, the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest, who is made not after the law of the carnal commandments, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifies, Thou art a priest! Forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandments going before the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. I want you to, to just look down on verse 24. It says, But this man, because he continues forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost. That comes unto God by him. Seeing he ever liveth to what? To do what? Makes intercession for them. For such a high priest became us. Who is holy, harmless and undefiled. Separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. I want you to look at 25 again. The end of 25 it says. Seeing he ever liveth to do what? To make intercession for us. 
That's what Jesus Christ is doing every moment of every day, Zach. He's interceding for us. When we sin, his blood is there to forgive us. When the devil wants to attack us and, say, and, and accuse us, the blood of Christ is there. And, and Jesus, and only Jesus in heaven, Robin, is the one standing between the devil and us. The one standing be, between sin and us. He is there interceding on our behalf. Isn't it great to know who our great high priest is? Isn't it great to know that he not only was, became a man, and not only was a prophet, and not only was a lamb of God and a sacrifice, now he's our high priest. And more than that, Joe, now we are his priests. Amazing stuff if you really let yourself look at it. He makes intercession for us. Look in chapter 9. Look in verse 24. It says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but unto heaven itself. Why? Now to appear in the presence of God. Say it. For us. Now to appear in the presence of God for Brian, for Zach, for Robin, for Fran, for John and Mary Ann, brother, for me and you and everyone too. See, that's what we understand we're, what he's doing right now. He literally rose again from the dead as a priest. He was prophet, now he's priest. He took his own blood. If you don't know the Old Testament ways, you need to learn. Because only the high priest could take the blood of, a, of the lamb, a perfect lamb, on once a year in the Day of Atonement. He would go into the Holy of Holies and he'd sprinkle the blood seven times on the mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant. You saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. The Ark of the Covenant's a real thing. And that blood forgave us or forgave Israel, do you understand? For a year. And they had to do it every year. And every year, then Jesus shows up. And John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Not covers it up, takes it away. So he's in heaven right now, ever making intercession for us. Look in First Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2. This is important for you when you, when you talk to our Catholic friends. First Timothy chapter 2, look in verse 5. It says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men. Look at it, what does it say? The man, Jesus Christ. There's one God, can I get an amen? And there's one man that is a mediator between God and man. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Not Mary, not a priest, not a, a saint, not, a, not anything, only Jesus. Can I get an amen somewhere? Do not fall for the religion and the, and the idol worship of priests and stuff like that. I cannot intercede for you. Jesus can. Amen. My job is to get you and Jesus together. And you have a relationship. And then Jesus commands me to teach you stuff. Amen. I want you to, to think about this. Is look in, in 1 John chapter 2. We're not far from there. First John chapter 2, look in verse 1. It says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, have you ever sinned? Talking to you then. And if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You know what the word advocate is, don't you? He's our lawyer. Yo, Zach, 
We have a lawyer in heaven. His name's Jesus. He's never lost a case. He's never lost a case. He never will lose a case. When you realize who he is and what he's doing right now, you're going to have absolute confidence that you are going to win this case. Amen? And not only is the judge God the Father, but his son's the advocate. Amen? Not only is his son the advocate, but his son's the one that suffered and died on the cross for you, Kira. You know what I mean? So when you sin, Kira, maybe you might sin sometime in your life. I'm not sure. Uh, that was a joke. But anyway, when you do, you have an advocate. You have a lawyer that you come to Jesus. Jesus, I sinned. I'm sorry. And Jesus goes to the Father. Father, she sinned. She's guilty. But I paid it. Done. Done. And like every case is over. It's, it, you're, go ahead. Go free. I love it, man. It's just wonderful. Amen. Look in Revelation chapter 1 again with me. Verse 16. It says, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as a sun that shineth. Seven stars, we know, we already went over this, are the angels of the church. That means the Spirit. So here we have the Spirit and the Word. We, he has the Spirit, and he has the Word of God. Do you understand that? And so that means that when you are reading this book, this is so important, I say it every time, this book is, is alive. It's alive and it's powerful and it's sharp, amen? It'll cut out the cancer from your life. It'll divide things in your life. It'll divide you. It'll make you born again. This book is the Word of God, amen? It's sharp, but it's also spiritual. It's got spirit in it. It's alive. And so therefore, when you're reading it, you're not reading it. It's reading you. And it will perform miracles in your life if you'll realize this. Let me move on. Revelation 1.18. It says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And, amen. And I have the keys to death and hell. I want you to turn to Revelation 3, verse 7 real quick. And then 9. Revelation 3.7 says, And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. That's us. He's an Eagles fan. These things saith he that is holy. He that is true, he that has the key of David, and he that openeth, and no man shuts, shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. Revelation 9, I'm going quickly. Revelation 9, 1, are you there? It says, and the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star. What is the star? What is the star? It's an angel. Come on. I, I went over that a lot. Of you. Angel, and when you see a star in the Bible, it's talking about angels. I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him, see it's a person, him was given the key to the bottomless pit. So he's, Jesus now, because Jesus went to hell, Jesus went in the grave, Jesus did everything down there, and Jesus rose from the dead, he now has the keys of death, of hell, and of heaven. He has the keys. He has the power and the authority to open. And what did he tell Peter in, in Matthew 16? When he said, who do you say that, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said unto Peter, man didn't give that, tell you that. My father told you that. He says, you are Peter, Petros, a stone. And upon this rock, meaning what Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and I'm going to give you the keys, Peter. The keys to the church. The keys to heaven, not hell. Peter, as the apostle, and as us, we have the key how to tell people to get to heaven. We have the key how to open, and tell people how to open the lock to heaven. I mean, think about that. What authority, what power we have. 
And because they were apostles, he said, whatever you say is the way it's supposed to be on earth, it will be in heaven. Whatever you say don't do on earth, it is the way it's in heaven. He gave the apostles authority. That's why the apostles wrote the book. Amen. And we follow the apostles of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. uh, Matthew 16, like I said, 19. And I want you to realize it says that these angels, they are spirit and they are power. power. We have the candlestick, which is the church. And so the church has the power and the light of the of the of God, which is for the world. The, the the candlestick is the church. The angels are the power of the church. Can I get an amen? We, by the Holy Spirit, are the light of the earth, the light of the world. We are supposed to burn brightly as a church, so the world may see our good works and glorify God the Father. We are not to be go out. We're not to, to be silent. We're supposed to be the salt and the, the light of the world. Amen. We have to go with the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of the angel spirit, and the power of the word. Amen. And we got to go out and tell everyone that is our job and responsibility. I want you to move on. Chapter um, 2 of Revelation. And we'll stop here and we'll pick it up next week. It says, under the angel of the church of Ephesus, under the spirit and the power of the church of Ephesus, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And he says this to the church, I know your works and thy labor and thy patience. I know how you cannot bear them that are evil. And how thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. Look what else he says. And has borne, you carried heavy burdens. And has patience, you have much patience. And for my name's sake, you've labored and you've not fainted. God, I want you to tell you the Spirit of God, the angel of the Lord that's in this church, the Spirit of God that's in you knows everything you're doing. He knows all the good that you've done. He knows everything you do when no one else, you think no one else sees, he sees it all. He sees everything you do and he knows all the good that the church is trying to do. And he knows all the good that you're trying to do. Do you understand that? And he's, he's happy that you're doing it. He's grateful that you're serving him. He's happy that you're laboring hard for him. He's happy that you're trying to keep the stuff, the right stuff. But he, in every church, in every church age, from the very first church, because he talks about apostles. This is the very beginning of the church back then. At the end, it's the end of the church where we're at now in our, in our church age. But look what he says unto them, and I'll finish. Verse 4. Nevertheless, even though all I know all the good you've done, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Please listen, listen up, because I'm done. God knows all the good you're doing. But every single time in this book, he's concerned about the thing that's going wrong in your life. He's concerned about the thing you're, you're not doing or the thing you're doing wrong. Can I get an amen? Because one day you're going to be like him, and he does want you to be perfect. Amen? He does. And you, you, you won't be perfect, perfect, until you get the glorified body. But you're supposed to be working towards that. Amen? You, you're not really going to be sinless, but you should certainly sin less. Amen? And so therefore, what he does in every single letter to every single church age, he says, I know what you're doing, good, thank you, good job, but I got something you have to work on, amen? So when, God's, when Christ is writing you a letter 
to, the, to you. And he says, all right, I got something against you. Pay attention. Look what he says. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you've left your first love. Now, I want you to think about this, and we're, we'll be done, and we'll finish it next week. What's the number one commandment? Nope. What's... Jesus was asked, what's the greatest of all the commandments? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So love God is the most important thing. So here, the, the first church, they loved Jesus. They were like all excited and happy and passionate. Let me ask you something. When you're in love, are you angry? When you're in love, are you sad? When you're in love, are you, are you miserable? Are you depressed? Are you, no, 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 no. That's what he says. I know how you, how you hate people that say they're apostles. I know how you're trying to do good and laboring and work. I know, I know, I know. But guys, you've left what's most important. You left your first love. See, it truly is the love of God, the love that, that Christ has for you never wanes. His love that he has for you is an eternal, everlasting love. So he's always happy. He's always happy with you. Us, we, at first we got in love, Jesus, everything was great. There was no problems in the church. There was no problems anywhere. Everything was wonderful. All of a sudden we started getting cynical. Ah, look at him not doing that. Can't believe they're saying this. Look at those guys over there preaching. Look how they're doing that. And all of a sudden we're like judgmental. And we're this and we're that and we're, we're separating this and that, they're not doing it the way doing it where they should be doing it. They're not reading the King James Bible, not doing this, not doing it. You know what I mean? And God's like, yo, 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 I know all the good you do, but you've left your first love. And so he says this and I'll finish. He says, remember, verse 5, from whence you are fallen and do what? Say it, church. Repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and I'll remove your candlestick out of its place. Except you repent. So what does he, throughout this whole letter, what is he telling us to do? He's telling us to realize what we're doing wrong, right? And stop it. Repent. And it's always about the first thing. What's the very first thing? Loving God. And because that'll change it. Listen, I want everyone to be happy. You're not going to be happy unless you have love. You're not going to be. You're never going to, you're going to complain all the time. And that's how you know where someone's relationship is. Amen is when you start to mumble, grumble, and complain because you don't love God enough. Amen? You've left, you left that. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father, I thank you, we thank you with all our hearts that we're allowed to call you Father because through Jesus, we become your sons and daughters. Through the new birth, Lord, the Holy Spirit of God has come into us and with the Word of God has, has cut away our souls from our hearts. You've circumcised us. You've washed us. You've even come in and lived and dwelled in us by your spirit. Would you please, Lord, forgive us for the times we've grieved you and quenched you? And would you help us, Lord, to live for you? Would you help us, Lord, to love you with all our hearts, all our souls, all our mind and all our strength? May love, Lord God, which just helps a multitude of sin. May love calm us and give us peace and give us the joy of the Lord. And may we love more. Thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you for these seven letters to this complete church. Lord, may we hear. May we have ears to hear. May we be helped today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church of